Welcome to the Human Advisor Podcast. This series is brought to you by Altruist, a digital platform that helps remove the friction from managing money and enables financial advisors to do their best work. Find your human advisor, or if you're an advisor, learn how Altruist can help you serve your clients better at altruist.com slash podcast. Today on the show, we have Surya Metzler joining us. You're going to hear a tale of two grandparents, one that was rich, that invested in time, education, and his grandson, the other that taught him the value of respect and how to make sure that you are honoring everybody that you are associated with. You don't want to miss this conversation. Tune in. If you don't respect your clients enough to be upfront with them, to be who you are, don't be someone behind the picture. And if there's something I could do over again, thinking about my younger years in advising, was always trying to be the person that the client I thought wanted me to be, instead of just being myself. Welcome back to another episode of The Human Advisor. I'm your host, Desarte Yarnway, and I'm super excited to have you here with me today. Today, I'm joined by Surya Metzler. How you doing? Great. Thank you so much. It's so good to have you here in the office. We appreciate you here at Altruist. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate being invited. So before we jump into the meat and potatoes in this conversation, introduce all our advisors that are watching who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Uh, Surya Metzler, I live in San Diego, California. Born and raised there, what a beautiful place to be. Um, very blessed to have a wonderful wife that we've been married 13 years, two beautiful daughters that are now 12 and eight, and love owning my own business. What a wonderful pl- way to be able to spend my days the way that I'd like, and more importantly, make a difference in people's lives. So let's jump right into it, all right? We talked earlier, and you talked about one rich grandparent and one blue-collar grandparent that really carved your money script in your head. Talk to us about your upbringing and how that shaped you today. Absolutely. Money is one of those things that we're never really taught about it in school. We're just born onto this earth in our own situation, which I believe as children, we all think is great. And I had a wonderful upbringing, born and raised in Southern California, more specifically in San Diego. And my dad's side of the family, blue-collar, bunch of union workers, And my first identification of wealth was on my dad's side of the family. My grandparents had retired, and he was that normal American that was taught, work for one company your entire life, pay off your home, have a good pension. Between that and Social Security, you should have a pretty secure retirement. And so we used to have the most wonderful get-togethers, probably 20 or 30 get-togethers a year at their home. And my grandparents would provide everything. So it was 4th of July, Easter, we'd have Easter egg hunts, my sister and I'd be running in the backyard. And that was my initial identification of, wow, grandma and grandpa have a great life. We always get to come here. Everyone has fun. There's all the foods that are usually not in my fridge or in their fridge. They always have presents for me and they take us out to eat. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really neat. It was different than my home and my upbringing. Again, I didn't understand the value of, of a dollar, and, and as a young child, you don't un- understand that. Yeah. And it wasn't really until I started to get a little bit older, and I ended up going to a private school in La Jolla, and people who went to this school were very, very affluent. My mom had to drive me 20 or 30 minutes a day there, and then 20 or 30 minutes a day back, but it was really important to her that I got a good education. And I think that all kind of flows back to that money conversation, mm-hmm. like why would you want to get a good education? I didn't understand at that time, it's she wanted to give me the best opportunity to succeed in life. And so I wouldn't have actually been able to go to that private school 
if it wasn't for her father. So my grandfather and the other side of the family who had done very well for himself. And I didn't really know how well until I got a little bit older, but I had very modest upbringing. Again, I didn't have any needs. Everything was taken care of, but the wealth creation was very different. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned this private school I went to. I at one point went to a birthday party and I remembered my birthday parties were special. My mom would make a really great cake. I'd have 15, 20 friends over. We'd bob for apples. We'd hit the pinata. Uh, it was the most wonderful day ever. The good old days. The right? good old days. It was just, it was, I, it, what do you know is normal other than what's your norm? Mm -hmm. So I go to this birthday party in fourth grade and it's in La Jolla and we start to drive in this neighborhood and none of the homes look like the homes that right, I lived right. in. Um, pulled into this driveway and there was this underground parking structure and I'm thinking, am I at some corporate plaza? No, this was a kid's house. And there were Ferraris and Mercedes parked underground. Wow. They had hired literally a zoo to come for all this, all the pet and feed the animals. Train tracks were constructed around the house. These birthday gifts that we got as kids. And that was the first time that I ever thought to myself, wow, everyone just doesn't bob for apples and live in this little modest house like I have. So it was this real kind of, I think light bulb went off in my head that on this earth, you can have whatever you want but you're gonna to have to do some stuff to get it. Yeah. And money is definitely not the most important thing in this world. I see people who have a lot of money, they also have a lot of problems. No, absolutely. If you, you don't have your health, health is wealth. But I, again, so this wealth was something that I just was a new concept. And I started thinking to myself, how, how did these people get this money? Now, my life was great, but I saw that there was more out there. And that's really when I started to focus and talk to my mother about her father because her father was the one that was paying for me to go to this private school. My parents couldn't afford to send me there. And so I started to get to know that grandfather because he lived on the East Coast, he lived in New York. And so the first time we went back to New York, I was just in awe of the big city. Right. And pulled up to his building, he lived on Central Park South, so right there in Manhattan. His apartment was on the eighth floor over the tree line of Central Park. So as a kid, I was like, wow, the Macy Day Parade would come by and I'm yeah. up by the balloons. And I started to think, everybody doesn't get to live like this. So I started to ask my mom, you know, what does grandpa do? How does he have this thing? And every morning when I would come out and sit with him in the morning, the first time I went there, he was watching like Bloomberg or CNBC, whatever was back in the day. Yes. He was paying attention to the stock charts that were going by. He was taking phone calls with his broker while we were sitting there on the couch. And I'm kind of starting to put a couple things together. I'm like, okay, he's watching the money. He's talking to people to say, what action should he take? And he has all this. Yeah. And that was my first realization that, you know, even though I came from this, I could have more, yes. but there was gonna need to be some stuff that I did. That's an awesome story. That's an awesome story. And I, I love when people tell their stories because you always find this genesis moment. Like this was the moment that led me into financial services, or this was the moment that allowed me to think bigger than I was thinking at first. I think that's incredible. You said something really special to me and you talked about how in the beginning you went to your other grandfather's house, right? And they had all the snacks, they had all the food that you didn't have at your house. And in a way that's wealth as well, that peace, that tranquility, right? That sense of belonging. And I find that Clients often want both, right? They want to make sure that they're growing their wealth, but they're building these memories that are lasting, right? That they'll never forget. For you, kind of tell me a little bit more about what that did for you and how that catapulted you into financial services. Absolutely. So continuing on with that grandfather, mm -hmm. 
really interesting as children, we get excited for our birthdays, we get excited for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. That grandfather taught me so much because when those times would come about, instead of giving me a present, that concept of instant gratification, we yeah. want it now. I know with my daughters, we watched the uh, Apple release and my eight-year-old was, Dad, I want the new iPad <laughs> Pro, I want a brand new iPhone 12, and it's all about right now. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, that one who had done well for himself, never gave me any of those things. Right. He gave me a stock certificate. What was your first one? I think it was IBM. Wow. And Smart then, man. Yeah. Or he would make a deposit into my savings account. And because my parents got divorced while I was rather young, he started to instill this responsibility in, in, in to me. We would have conversations on the phone because he lived back in New York and I'm out in California. And he would say, Surya, you're the man of the house now. You have to look out for your mom and sister. And so part of that was kind of like finances too, thinking even though I didn't have the resources, as a young man, I was starting to think, hey, I have to watch out for mom and my sister. And so it was a really interesting revelation. I continued a great relationship with him over time as we continued to grow together. Um, As I said, he lived in New York half the year and he lived in Miami the other half. He had like the snowbirds who go back and forth. So every time I would go back and see him in New York, we would do something very interesting, but it always revolved around money. And I think it was because he was a product of the Great Depression. He told me a lot of stories about how they lost it all and had to come back. And so my mom has this really cool sign over her door and it says, I make myself rich by making my needs few. I love it. And it kind of goes back to this whole concept of, of relativity, relativity of money. You probably have some clients that make a million dollars a year, yep. but they spend one million in one. Yep. And then you have this little old lady client who makes 25,000 and somehow she saves 13,000. So I think one of the biggest benefits that my grandfather taught me was, again, delayed gratification, continued saving mm-hmm. and investing in yourself by him putting me into school. And I continued those sorts of thoughts and process and, and how that evolved was me going to, off to college at that point, he had passed away, so we didn't really have the resources to pay. So I ended up working 40 hours a week while I was taking a full load. It was really cool to graduate college having no student debt and having saved $50,000 in the bank. I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for my grandfather teaching me those concepts of delayed gratification, having a budget, living within your means, and investing in yourself. That's awesome. Can you please, please, for everybody watching right now, repeat that sign on your mother's door? That's a gem. Can you please repeat that sign? What was that? My mother's sign says, I make myself rich by making my needs few. I make myself rich by making my needs few. That's awesome. Now, how do you, you talk about a better way in your biography, right, on your website and how you serve your clients. I think that often these lessons that we learn through life we give on to our clients, right? Again, I talk about servant leadership. I talk about me wanting to not only serve my clients, but be a living, breathing example of what can be achieved and what you should do, right? So like, I wanna make sure that I'm, I have my estate plan, right? My insurance is in order. My portfolio is diversified. And everything that you learn from your grandfather, you have to be giving to your clients just subconsciously, right? So talk about that better way and how you give that to your clients. Absolutely. And so I I think, again, it all starts, like you said, I I don't believe in shoemakers that don't wear shoes. Mm -hmm. My wife and I, we have our own financial plan. When I first started my firm, it was a really hard proposition to my wife. Uh, When I left the big firm, I said, honey. Why was that? Excuse me? Why was it a hard proposition? Well, when you have the big company job, 
and yet you already have built a very huge client base and they're covering all your operating costs. I had this big corner office, everything was taken care of. And I said, honey, you know, guess what I'm gonna do? Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and leave this big corporate job where everything's all set up and we're cushy. I'm gonna start my own firm and have zero clients and I'm gonna use all the savings that I've built up to go ahead and fund this business. How does that sound to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she kind of looked at me and said, you're crazy, don't right. do that. But it really started with that, the, the better way. There has to be a better way to serve our clients. And so I worked for a great company in the past. It was a large financial planning organization, did a great job giving advice, but really you can't be beholden to two masters. I can't truly say that I'm gonna serve my clients as a fiduciary, but then also only be able to peddle certain products and services that, that said company has. Yeah. And so I really took that to heart. And when I left, I started my own financial plan. I started off with doing a good sound job of helping me and my wife understand what are our actual needs? You know, again, I make my life rich by making my needs few. And so we did the same thing where we started off with a nice little cash flow analysis of here's our base rent, here's all these different things. Here's my marketing plan, how much I'm going to have to spend. And that first year when I started, it was really tough. it started right in 2007. What a great time to start a business. <laughs> Tough time to start a business, right? So 2008 came around and I'm out there marketing and trying to get every client I could under the sun. And I think my favorite thing that I ever said to a prospect was, you should become my client. And when they asked why, I said, well, this year I haven't lost anyone any money. Because <laughs> I didn't have any clients. <laughs> but um, again, it all started with good, having a sound plan myself, understanding my cash flow, investing in myself. I got those same life insurance policies. Mm-hmm. I went out there and bought term insurance and I invested the difference. Again, not to say that's the way everyone does what they want to do. Yeah. But I had that life insurance because my human life value, if something happened to me, I needed to make sure that my wife would be taken care of and our child that was on the way. We were uh, one of those lucky folks that got pregnant on our honeymoon. So we call uh, our oldest daughter, Sophia, she's called our Jamaican baby. <laughs> there you go. I want to ask you a question, right? Yeah. It's all about making advice human. I think it's so important as advisors to go on the other side of the table with the clients, right? To say like, hey, I did this and it gave me that peace of mind. What did you say? It's important for us to operate as leaders in a way and be an example to our clients. How, how does that resonate with you? Absolutely. I don't think that you can give good advice unless you eat your own cooking. And so I think part of the value that I provide to my clients is my own stability. If, if personally I didn't have my own personal financial house in order, I don't live outside of my means. My wife and I both drive really you know, reasonable cars and we don't, try, we don't live in a palatial estate. Um, you know, we don't buy nice jewelry. Back to my childhood, really cool lesson my, wife, uh, my mother taught me about developing a budget was every year she would give my mother, or my sister and I a certain amount of money to buy new school clothes. Me too. And the crazy part about it is my sister in one day would spend every dollar that she got for the entire year in the guest store at the mall. And I used to go shop at the thrift store. So I'd buy secondhand clothes, which were great. I mean, they were maybe used once. But the deal with my mom was any money that was left over at the end, we got to keep. Mm-hmm. So it was not unusual that every school year at the end, I'd get about 80% of that money back because I wouldn't nearly spend anything. And so my wife and I still use those principles today. We try to raise our daughters in a way of teaching them the value of the dollar. I was just gonna ask you that. (laughs) I was driving up here this morning and I was having a conversation with my wife and she was saying, your youngest daughter, Savannah, who's eight, she was asking about the mortgage that we pay, does the government get that? Is that taxes? 
she was starting to get this concept of, of money. And I'm so happy because today in schools, they don't teach you how to balance their checkbook. So one of my real goals in life is, I talked about being a great father, mm -hmm. is educating my daughters on those things. I wanna make sure that they're independent, strong women, mm -hmm. that they don't need anyone, that they understand that they can provide for themselves and they could have any job or occupation that they want on this planet. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is teaching them finances, because I think the schools today do a great job at educating, and I'm so thankful for all the teachers out mm -hmm. there. There's just some subject matter that's not taught. Yeah. So. I'm from West Africa, right? And we believe that it takes a village to raise a child, right? And I think that we all are a combination of all of the people that have touched us, right? In certain ways and in certain um, times in our lives, right? And what I hear from you is that you've had two grandparents that were instrumental in how you view money, your mother as well, probably gone to private school as well. Now. Talk to me about a couple lessons that you learned from each grandparent. Obviously you had one, right? He was well in tune with the market, right? And you had another one that was super hardworking. Kind of summarize those points for us. So I think the, one of the biggest lessons I learned from my grandfather on my father's side mm -hmm. was uh, a lesson of respect. I could not believe it. He was a very strong man and sometimes temperful. And so I can kind of see how in his upbringing, how he raised my father, my aunt, and my uncle. But one of the biggest lessons that I learned from him is that you have to respect others. Yeah. And one of the biggest ways that I always saw him respecting was the way he respected my grandmother. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a woman of very few words, but when she did speak, everybody jumped. Yeah. So one of the funniest things that I remember, my grandfather was starting to have a little bit of episode based on some of the activities that were ha having happened by the pool. I think both of my uncles had consumed a little bit too much alcohol and there were some words being exchanged. And my grandfather raised his voice and all of a sudden I hear my grandmother in the back, her name was Marie. She said, John! And all of a sudden he just put his lip over his thing, <laughs> turned around and walked away. So I think the whole concept of respect and temperance mm -hmm. is a big thing. They were a great family and they were a great team. One of the things I also took away was the team approach of things. Yeah. Um, in my relationship with my wife, obviously I have a very successful business and it provides more than enough for our family, but you don't want to undervalue your spouse. Mm -hmm. And my wife is a phenomenal domestic engineer. Mm -hmm. That's what I call her. Literally, she runs the house like you wouldn't believe. Um, raising two daughters is really tough. Yeah. The conversations and the things, especially with COVID, this homeschool is, is unbelievable. So I think something I really took away from, from them was the teamwork and the respect. And they had built a great life for themselves financially. But I think a lot of my other financial goals really came from my mom's side mm -hmm. because I saw what he had and I had dreams and aspirations of having more. Yeah. Because I saw the flexibility. I loved going to see him in Miami. And I loved going back to New York to the city. And that really attracted me because I think finances can provide you freedom. Yes. It doesn't provide you happiness, but it provides you options and freedom. And that's really what I saw on his side. And so one of the lessons that I learned from my mom's side, my, my grandfather on my mom's side, was the hard work and I think the process. and. The, the schedule. And so that's something that I've put in tune into my own life today is I'm kind of, my wife thinks I'm boring. Yeah. I could eat the same three meals for the rest of my life, <laughs> but that's good for me. And so something I implemented in my personal life is just, you know, the time that I take to take care of myself. If I don't go to the gym and get a little bit of exercise, if I don't take care of myself emotionally, mentally, and physically, how could I ever take care of my clients? 
How could I ever take care of my family? And so that whole concept with, with my grandfather on my mom's side was several fold. Yeah. It was the process, it was the consistency. He was always investing, he was setting money aside. He was paying attention to it. It's very easy if we're scared of or don't understand something like money, that we might just ignore it. Yes. And sometimes that's the worst thing you could ever do. So I think those, those lessons he taught me um, were invaluable and I use them every day today. That's amazing, man. And I'm just soaking all of this in. I love to learn. And I think that I wish I had two grandparents like that, right? <laughs> to give me that perspective. But you're an amazing person. I can see a lot of what you talked about in your business and how you strive to do a better way of financial planning. I have a question, man. We're all trying to figure out this thing. We're trying to figure out how we can do financial advice the right way, right? How we can give the, our clients the best of us. What do you think advisors can do today that can help their clients have better client experiences and ultimately have wealth that goes beyond money? Yeah. So... That's such a broad topic. Yeah. So many ways we can go with that. Yeah. Um, but the first couple of things I, I would start with is back to that respect. The respect that my grandparents had for one another, I want to exhibit that respect for every one of my clients. And so if you don't respect your clients enough to be upfront with them, to be who you are, don't be someone behind the, the, the picture. And if, if there's something I could do over again, thinking about my younger years in advising, was always trying to be the person that the client I thought wanted me to be, yeah. instead of just being myself. There are so many clients out there. I always talk about this concept of abundance. There's more than enough. I know you have a successful practice. I have a successful practice. If someone walked in and sat between the two of us and we both wanted the person as a client and we could be telling them whatever we wanted to, some person's gonna naturally be attracted to you and just say, Desarte, you're amazing. Mm -hmm. Could you please help me with my finances? I really. I like the way that you talk about it and your concepts and that would work for me. Mm. And same thing for me. And so I think one of the takeovers I would do if I were to start a practice again would be 100% genuine to myself and turn people away mm -hmm. that don't have the same sort of principles, ideals and beliefs because in the end, it's always going to be an issue down the line. So first, be genuine and true to yourself. Mm. I think it is again the honesty and the integrity. And then second, I think if you're really gonna provide good advice, like we talked about before, you can't be a, a shoemaker that doesn't wear shoes. Yeah. So have your own plan. Um, you know, be executing that with your family. Be reviewing it consistently, and then do that same thing for your clients. I've actually pulled up my portfolio before and shown it to my clients when they discuss, like, well, what do you invest in? Mm -hmm. And obviously, there's a difference in my age, and so yeah. the whole concept of showing, well, I have a lot more time, and I'm dollar cost averaging yeah. like you did for the last 30 years. Right. So my portfolio is more aggressive. But I think that really instills the confidence of a client to be with you for the long term is he's honest with me, he treats me with respect, he's genuine, and he's doing the same thing that he's telling me to do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's servant leadership in a lump sum, right? And I think this is super important for advisors to hear be yourself, be authentic. There's a person out there that wants to work with you and is looking for you. But if you take away your uniqueness, you're gonna miss out on that opportunity. And I think that's a very important thing to do. And secondly, just being honest. Everybody loves an honest person. Surya, th that story is incredible. I'm sure it's gonna resonate with all the other advisors, just like it did with me. I really appreciate that. Before we let you go, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about what the work that you do? Feel free to give them your information so they can follow up after this conversation. 
Absolutely. You can go to the website, newportwealthadvisors.com. Um, all of our contact information is there. My uh, personal e or my work email address is there. Uh, I truly believe in giving back. I think one of the most meaningful differences I can make not only in my clients' lives, but also in other advisors' lives. Um, I belong to a couple different mastermind groups, and I help teach advisors to do what I do. Whatever they want to take away is up to them. But I think it's about improving this industry. We all need to be better advisors. We need to surround ourselves with like-minded people that put the client's needs first. And so some of that's in, you know, how do I get better advice? What technologies are you using? You know, how do you do client interactions? Um, I love to help advisors, so if anyone wants to reach out, more than happy to help you. Awesome, awesome, and thank you all for watching. Get another episode of The Human Advisor. Again, if you want to follow up with us, altruist.com slash grow to subscribe to the network. Be sure to smash that YouTube subscribe button on Twitter. Follow us at Altruist, and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn as well. Um, thank you again, Surya. We appreciate having you, and we'll see you all again here soon. This was another episode of The Human Advisor podcast. Visit thehumanadvisor.com for new episodes and be sure to check out altruist.com to learn more about how Altruist is changing the face of finance. No commissions, no biases, digital everything, the way it should be.